to the Summoning Hour. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Summoning Hour podcast. You get to hear me talk today about my experience in founding the Summoning Hour podcast. This was a talk I gave at the College Esports Expo back in the end of February before all the work from home orders and all the chaos ensued. So this is a little bit of a different tone. I got to speak in front of a small crowd at the convention and get to know and network with a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of students, especially from Emerson, which was really a lot of fun to get to know them. And again, just get to know people who are behind the scenes at esports events and the college esports ecosystem. So listen in, leave a line, leave some feedback either at http colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash the summoning hour slash message or just hit me up on Twitter at Warlock Recall. Anyways, enjoy and have a good week. See you next week. Hello everyone, my name is Joe Belasek. You might recognize my name online more as Warlock Recall. And I am a 12-year veteran of the video game industry, as well as the host of three esports podcasts. Check your six, Call of the Sea, and the one I'm invited here to talk about today, The Summoning Hour. I'm guessing that not many of you have heard about it because it's still relatively small, like the collegiate esports space. And that's exactly what I need from an audience like you, is being able to share this. So for the uninitiated, the Summoning Hour is the main venue in which I talk to students, faculty, collegiate clubs, varsity programs, and get to know their origin stories. I dive into what motivated them to get into ga games and esports, but then also what drives them, where those clubs are going to be going to what goals they have for them, what is their relationship with gaming on campus, as well as what the relationship is with the administration on campus. You'll never believe that there's so much conflict between the two that there's not one right answer for every school. So why would someone who has an established career in gaming want to jump into something like collegiate esports? It's small, there's professional esports exploding everywhere. What could I get out of it, but then what could the audience as well benefit from doing this? Well, I have five reasons why I got involved into collegiate esports. One, I never had a chance to compete in school, so that kind of sucks. I loved Heroes of the Dorm before its untimely end. My job at the time when I started summoning hour had gone stale. It just wasn't interesting to me anymore. And the collegiate grassroots nature of things was just reminiscent of so many other things. And then there was one thing Paul Chaloner said, Red Eye, you might know him as, on his perspective of recording esports history. So we're gonna go back in time a little bit. During my senior year of high school in 2004, World of Warcraft had just launched and exploded into everyone's lives and was prompting headlines online and on TV everywhere. Just like how you see Ninja, Fortnite, 100 Thieves everywhere today. If I could have played Counter-Strike in the computer lab during lunch in junior high and high school, I would have been labbing that perfect smoke or flash play every day. 
I would have dropped all the traditional sports I was doing and the training I was doing for that just to be practicing and be in that competitive space. If I could have found other people who were also interested in that, we could have been labbing together and competing online, mostly just through websites, because not many other schools would have had anything going on, especially if there's very few schools now doing that. But still, the acceptance of gaming back in 2004 really wasn't there. And esports was still fighting for acknowledgement and acceptance from mass media, greater population. And geographically, it was still limited to very select areas. And there may have been some really devoted and valuable online communities, but discoverability was exceptionally low. So I kept competing in traditional ways, football and baseball, and then casually online as a solo player. A couple years later, when I entered university, I had the opportunity to supplement my goals of getting into game development by approaching Western Washington University's sports psychology minor program. Now, because I wasn't in sports medicine or sports therapy or any of the programs within that discipline, I had to go to the lead professor and get his permission to enter into any of the classes. And how I did, I explained to him even back in 2006 that the games industry was exploding, it was all over the place and it was only going to get monumental and people were already competing. So things like training for mental fortitude, physical strength training, conditioning, and training for recovery were all going to be themes and valuable lessons that people were going to have to learn. That was back in 2006, as I said. I got into the program, but it was a two-year program, and down the line, I had to make a choice. Either graduate on time with my plan and at cost, or I take another year and sacrifice an additional large amount of money. Well, I chose to drop those classes and not continue that sports psychology minor. I could see that as a mistake or I could see as validation that I was right today. But I still went for my goal of getting into the games industry. And to explain why the timeline of this is so important in the context of esports, think about this. In context to the conversation I had with the professor, Twitter, and Twitter is the primary method I use today to track everything, get in contact with people for podcasts, Twitter was just founded months prior to that conversation. YouTube was founded only 18 months prior. Justin TV, the basis of which Twitch was found, six months after my conversation with my professor. And Facebook was still restricted to college students only. Esport leagues were for games like Counter-Strike, Quake 3, Warcraft 3, and Need for Speed Most Wanted. And they were playing in leagues like the Cyber Athlete Professional League, World Series of Video Games, Ele Electronic Sports World Convention, and World Esports Masters. And esports is spelled probably the worst way that you could imagine. So a lot of those leagues are really underwhelmingly known today. Some of them still exist, but you don't see them hitting the major headlines. But as you can tell, esports was a very different world back then. So after college, I graduated and I got my first QA position. It was a contract job for Halo Wars. 
and eventually down the years, I moved into production. And in that time, I found a new gaming love. It was Heroes of the Storm, and which is how I discovered Heroes of the Dorm. They're primarily college competition that was my introduction to collegiate esports. It was incredible to see how many teams there were and the depth of skill and the discipline that happened there and the overall organization and production of the main 64 team tournament was absolutely incredible. This was also the best way I have seen traditional sports incorporated into esports. They took March Madness, the formula for that, and converted it into something sustainable with hundreds of teams participating. And they made it interesting and engaging by even including a tournament bracket challenge, which gave away prizes. The second year I participated, I was in the top 250 until that final match where I just, I lost it all in top 10,000, I think. And the challenge, the, the way that they modeled it was just so well orchestrated and inviting for people to be involved that I thought this was a way that esports was going to grow. I mean, one, it was Activision Blizzard doing this. It was a MOBA. It was in kind of at the right time, a little late. But it also reminded me of a conversation I had with my dad when I was little. He explained to me when, why he liked college sports more than professional sports. And it was because of the greater responsibilities that they had on and off the field. They were students. They were still learning. They were not perfect athletes who were trained for this from the ground up and then had more than a dozen years of experience. Some of these kids were just coming into it or just converting to play competitively. I held on to that perspective for a long time, but I best understand it now. The perspective from my dad and the approach of Heroes of the Dorm created and planted a seed, one that I wouldn't recognize until I wanted to try and expand on the format and the coverage of the summoning hour in September of 2018. Going back just a little bit, six and a half years after graduating, but prior to even thinking about starting the podcast, I was knee deep in my career as a producer at Wargaming Seattle. And being in production, I was more of an organizer of people and teams and what work gets done when and to what quality bar is acceptable. More than just building the individual characters or the designs. Sure, I could give feedback and everything, but that wasn't my realm of responsibility. And so as that project and as that team kind of just lost that spark that was interesting for me as in my career, I knew I needed to do something for me. I wanted to create something and I wanted to build something from the ground up. The logical option would be, you should make a video game. You've been doing it for a little while. I don't know why I didn't go down that route, but it didn't seem like a viable option for me at the time. And I wanted to really hone and use the skills that I was developing at work for something other than at work. And there was a message that was from one of the co-workers I had of having a never be satisfied mentality towards it. And I really just wanted to keep that and improve my skills that I was practicing. I just didn't have a clue of what I wanted to build for myself. And several months later, I happened to be watching one of my favorite YouTube shows, Hot Ones. And 
there was a guest on there who I hadn't heard of before. Usually I had some recognition of previous guests, but when Gary Vaynerchuk came on at, in the October of 2017, I couldn't shake his personality after I watched that episode. So I dove into his content. And for anyone who isn't familiar, Gary Vaynerchuk is an extremely successful entrepreneur and investor. And now he's a part owner of the Minnesota Rocker and the Call of Duty League. I started down his rabbit hole of content and decided to start the summoning hour. The first episode aired in February of 2018. At first it was a how did you get into the industry podcast since I got asked that question a lot, mostly by neighbors and nephews and more distant family members, but it was still somewhat common for me to get that question even from random people on Twitter. I was trying to make a podcast about something I knew well and could also bring people into it. So it wasn't just me talking into a void. I'm pretty uncomfortable talking to myself, but when I'm having a dialogue, that was much more interesting. I could get to know people. And some of the stories I got from my coworkers who I'd worked with for years were just absolutely incredible. Like the guy who was down to his last $10 and he was sleeping in his car. And so if he didn't get this QA position, he was gonna drive back down to California and work in the family business. Sure enough, he landed that gig. I interviewed him for it, hired him, and now he's off to Ubisoft to be a designer. So when I started the podcast, all I had was my phone, a $10 dual mic lavalier microphone, my PC, Discord, and the podcasting platform, Anchor. It was sometime during that first year of the podcast I heard an interview with Paul Chaloner, or Red Eye, and he did an interview, and he said that the early history of esports was lost outside of the stories who were being, that were being told by people who were still in the, in the scene. That simple statement caused a light bulb in my head to go off. No one outside of Heroes of the Dorm was telling those stories of those players. Sure, there was a documentary that second or third year, but no one else was talking about these players. No one else was talking about who these players were, what their aspirations were outside of what their major was when they were on stage. I thought if Heroes of the Storm has a collegiate environment, other games must too. And if I put my energy behind this angle and started a conversation, built a network, narrated a story, and captured its history, then gave credit to those who were participating, putting their passion and dedication into it, it seemed like a recipe for success. This would be my way to give back to the community and even potentially bring people into my industry, which I have to say has been on my mind a lot since I've been talking to a lot of students. Students like Marco from RIT or Jason and Jock from Mississippi State University, more on them in a second, or Ben Hosford, from, formerly from Louisiana State University. And they're the very definition of driven and passionate and just building stuff for them and building things that are inclusive and important to this space. And I would take any, single, any of them, and the majority of the students I've interviewed who are in leadership positions, I would take any of them into my industry. They would be great producers, great QA, they would be great reliable individuals who could build something from the ground up without having any blueprint for them. 
And sometimes it is that raw enthusiasm that is better than direct experience. I really can't emphasize enough how much I really truly believe that the skills your students or you as students are building are developing in a time for esports that are putting you in the upper echelon of the next generation of businessmen and women, content creators, artists, designers, engineers, analysts, coaches, you name it, anyone under the umbrella of technology, management, and leadership. The nature of collegiate esports wasn't exactly something I understood until after I hosted my first collegiate esports episode with Jason DeShong and Jacques Crochet of Mississippi State University. I had done some research and reached out to a number of students and programs via Twitter, but they were the only ones who got back to me. And the information that they had to share was absolutely astounding. Here they were coordinating for the first esports egg bowl. Now, if anyone's familiar with college, traditional college sports, you know what the Egg Bowl is. The Egg Bowl goes back over 100 years of rivalry between Ole Miss and Mississippi State University. The Egg Bowl trophy itself was incorporated 30, 40 years into the future from the first game. But here they were continuing a traditional sport rivalry into esports, and it was entirely driven by student leadership. It was given permission by the faculty, and it was encouraged, and they were able to get some funding to establish some third-party support for cameras, lighting, and helping to get things set up. But overall, it was entirely student leadership that put this together, hosting a best of, I think it was seven games, between two clubs, where some students participated on multiple teams, but seven games with seven teams stacked on a stage in one of the school's arenas. It was Ole Miss the first year and MSU hosted it this year. So now they're capable of transitioning it from one school to the other and both clubs are capable of ownership of that. As esports and collegiate esports grows, those skills are going to be what sets schools apart. And all of this just further the idea that huge colleges like UCLA, University of Washington, Oklahoma, and Alabama, or Louisiana State, Arizona State, and Boise State, all competing in esports, it was, and it was almost entirely driven by esports, even in those clubs, that's insane. But that's where we were even two years ago. And the number of schools that I have found since then will feed the podcast forever. And I'll always be able to go back in six months, eight months, a year, two years, and get new stories from new transitioning officers, from people who are still building there. Having that longevity of, four year, of a four-year career in a leadership position, you get to establish not only a vision, but then the direction of where your esports club goes for the next four to six years until someone takes a hard left turn which a lot of schools are doing a lot to battle that by having full-time faculty dedicated to keeping the course of what's been working. The grassroots movement of collegiate esports is exactly how professional esports started. It's also how traditional sports started and how the fighting game community has survived the arcade-centric lifestyle and into the global culture that it is. So it is hard for me to ignore the promise that is there in the realm of collegiate esports. 
the seed created by my dad, planted by the heroes of the dorm, and earned its watering, had earned, finally earned its watering by Paul Chaloner and the students who were invested as much as I was in esports. So really, that's the story of how I got here. And I don't really know where the podcast is going to go. I have inclinations of where it could go, but it's mostly going to follow wherever you drive collegiate esports. I could see more interest in conference-based tournaments. We're seeing it already. I hope there's more land conversations and opportunities for leagues like NACE, TESPA, CSL, and independent leagues like the College Rainbow Six League. I've really enjoyed hearing about some of these leagues being able to participate at events like DreamHack, having show matches, or having a qualifier cup in the BYOC sections. And I hope to see that trend continue to grow and grow until Collegiate is at a scope and not just the spectacle, that it needs its own dedicated events. I can see more rivalry matches showing up, like the Esports Equal, but with different flair between the rivals. It'll be great to see those school chants and those school songs become incorporated. It'll be great to see large audiences. But ultimately, I think it'll be great to see how Collegiate Esports makes it its own. The last thing that I see Collegiate Esports doing is for each of the schools being able to provide a value not only to the esport club, but to the university as a whole. The value that it creates, not just as a recruiting tool, but how it affects student life culture, how it involves more people and builds support structures for people who are into gaming but don't know anyone on campus. New transfer students, new freshmen. Building those structures are what keep people in college and keeps them invested and helps them grow as a person. As I've been making the esports podcast for about a year and a half, I've been trying to highlight the stories and skills these students have been investing into themselves, their teams, and their schools. I hope these podcasts help the students to hold on to what they've accomplished and reminds them of the journey they're on, that every day has the opportunity to be a turning point. If I can make them feel cool about being on that one guy's podcast, then it's been worth it. It would be reinforcing and acknowledging them for the time and effort that they've put into that space. Something that esports has been asking for since the very beginning. And there's stories that have already been told. We can't do anything about those because they haven't been recorded. But for the stories that are happening now and the ones that are to come, we owe that to people, to the people spending the time and effort to record that history, to be able to track how this came about, how this grew into a movement, how it was owned by the students, and how it's important to not let that fact go. This is an opportunity to take hold of because we have the foresight for us to, given to us to preserve it. Speaking of stories, a few just teasers for you to go back to the podcast for. I've been watching Arizona State University's change of heart since I last interviewed them and their president, Lucas Selman, the president at the time, and now where the current VP, 
Danielle George is taking it to help drive that club get an esports facility on campus. That was a very different conversation from where, I, where that club was a year and a half ago. Or how about the MSU officers traveling across the country to pick up PCs to drive them back just in time for the second eSports Egg Bowl after a business deal that was orchestrated by them failed on their vendor's part. They took hold of it, they owned it, and they made opportunity to learn and still execute on the bigger vision. I know many professionals who would have a hard time doing that, but here they are doing this with the support of their club, the support of their campus, and they're making it happen, and they're building extremely strong networks to make it happen. Or how about University of Oklahoma's community outreach initiative that brought PCs to local libraries and established coaching for underprivileged neighborhoods to teach kids about esports at an early age and drive communities into the libraries. And I can't forget Scott Zachman from Rutgers Esports and his story, the stories of the Red Wedding esports stories. At the end of the day, I'm glad I've gotten to know some of you, your colleagues and peers. It has filled me with a lot of hope for the future of the games industry, esports, and all these industries that the students will go into because of the overwhelmingly common themes of diversity, inclus inclusivity, community first, growth mindset, passion, and drive, and not taking the status quo as the world they have to live in. In closing, I'd just like to thank you for listening to me today and to thank our hosts. It's incredibly humbling to be invited out here to do a talk for you, people who are certainly more valuable in this space than I, but I look forward to meeting more of you, getting to know you, your services, your roles, and tracking this history together. I welcome everyone from every school, big or small, competitive or casually interested in esports to reach out to me or even just start your own podcast as a way of preserving your history and honoring your leaders. I look forward to talking to, with more of you and learning about your programs. For those of you who haven't joined in on the fun, I hope you'll consider downloading a podcast and giving it a listen. If Rainbow Six Siege is your, your taste, uh, ch the Check Your Six podcast covers three collegiate leagues as well as some of the North American Pro League. And the Call of the Sea podcast is for following the Call of Duty League franchise, the Seattle Surge. You'll find those links on, or those links to those podcasts on that one link below. So thank you again. I appreciate your time and I hope to hear from you all soon. Part two. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.